welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. Good to be with you another week. So thankful for you joining us for another week. My name is Chris. I'm in solo today. Today, we've got a great friend of mine. We've got Mr. Robbie Gant from AFCO. Robbie, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. We're, uh, we're super stoked. You've been on the podcast, crap, I think it was last year or so, more yeah, or less. I think it's been about a year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good to have you, man. Good to see you in person. <laughs> um, we were talking, last last year we talked, before we kicked it on, and we'll get in the background and stuff a little bit later on, but w- last year we talked about uh, EKG Man, and it seemed like the whole industry had a great response to that whole methodology and taking care of their fish. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really fun. It's been really exciting just to see the evolution of EKG May and then like anglers themselves just really wanting to get, you know, better quality product from the, you know, from the fish that they're harvesting. And it's just so cool to just, you know, go to the PCS show or the Bart Hall show and you have these guys that, you know, read all about it and they come to go to the show and they're like, hey man, I tried it. It's totally awesome. You know, so that's just great to see that, you know, it's it's working and people are really appreciative of the of the whole process. Yeah. And the whole year there, I mean, you pounded the payment, you went to fishing clubs. I mean, I could have sworn I've probably seen at least three or four of your presentations on EKGMA. It was great. It was great to see. And, you know, it really kind of develops or, you know, develops that whole respect for the fish and taking care of your fish. And it's a great process too. Not, not very difficult either. Yeah, no, super, super simple. And and I think that's kind of like the key is, you know, it looks like mad scientist type stuff, but uh, once you, you know, figure it out, it's a, it's a really quick process. And, you know, it's just getting the rest of the, of, of the anglers out there kind of involved in this just, and, and I think it'll, it'll get there, you know, it's just going to take some time. Um, you know, sport boats are, are coming along, you know, so that's nice. been, we thought that was going to be a big hurdle. You know, we've got some sport boats that are totally cool with, uh, with doing the process on the boat and you've got some others that, you know, don't want anything to do, to do with it. And, and that's their deal. That's totally fine. You know, we don't want to screw anything up for them, but you know, if you get sport boats behind it, it's, it's pretty cool that, you know, they, they see the benefit in it. They want to make sure that their customers are getting the best possible quality of product ever mm-hmm. and EKG is it. I, I have to ask, what is your biggest piece of advice for actually getting the, I think it's the net breaker down the, the right avenue in the spine of the fish? Yeah, the circuit breaker. So it, it, the tail cut is by far the easiest because simply you can look at the spinal cord of the fish and you'll actually see the hole or the neural canal where the circuit breaker goes into. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the easiest. You know, you see, you know, commercial guys like, you know, like Tim Ekstrom on the star has been doing it forever and ever and ever. Well, they're masters at it. So they can go right through the head, right? So they oh, boom, yeah. boom, boom, and they're done. Um, but they've done it a lot, right? It's like riding a bike, right? Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta learn. And, uh, but the, yeah, the tail cuts definitely, definitely the way to go. So if you're going through the head, you don't necessarily need to cut anything. You just have that spot picked out. Well, you've got the, basically the hole where you, um, you put the brain spike in, so mm-hmm. it's it's that same hole that oh, you fish okay. the fish the cable through. Huh, that's good to know. That's good to know. I think I sent you a video last year of one of my deckhands, one of my good friends, that was actually doing it through the head on a rockfish, and you could tell it was just flapping around right when he was put put uh, pushing it through. He got it on the first try. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get lucky. I've I've been <laughs> lucky to try, you know, trying it uh, a handful of times. I just always did the tail, and yeah. I still do the tail every time I do it. It's just it's just easier, much easier, 
for sure. Well, let's get a little bit of background on yourself, man. I know you came on the podcast last year, but give us a refresher. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, another another great year working at AFCO there. Uh, we introduced our lures at ICAST last year. I can't believe ICAST is like in two weeks. Uh, oh. We'll be back in Orlando for that, uh, for that show. We've got some new products coming out. But yeah, it's been a big year for us with lures. It was, um, honestly speaking, just a major pain in the butt getting them here with the whole COVID thing and just trying to build things overseas. It was pretty much a nightmare. Um, but we got them in and... Uh, you know, dealers are starting to pick them up. You know, I'm getting fish pictures all the time from people that I gave lures to. And, um, you know, more dealers are signing up, you know, it seems like mm -hmm. every day I'm getting a, a new order, uh, from tackle shops that want to bring in the lures. So that's mm -hmm. been, that's been really cool, but yeah, it's just exciting. I mean, even yesterday, right. I think you sent me a picture, <laughs> you, you know, just, just verifying they work, right. So yeah. cut a calico bass on the swimmer, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I gave some baits to, uh, Jim King's mill, he was down, um, did like, I don't know, have like a month long trip down to Mexico and he caught all kinds of different critters with all the different lures. So it's nice. just super cool to see, um, Jamie Tynes from season sport fishing with oh, this cool. Benita that's, you know, been biting. He's right. been trolling our diggers and he's just been knocking them dead. So it's just really rewarding to, you know, something that you put <laughs> so much energy and effort into building and, guys are going out and they're being successful and they're enjoying the baits. You know, I remember talking to you for, it seems like almost years about these lures that were coming and I knew they were coming. And I think last year they were supposed to come, but they didn't come. And then this year that you got them and I'm like, I, I, I want to be on that short list to, to try them out and they work. They work. Yeah. Can, can confirm as of yesterday. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely, I wouldn't build them if they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and there's different varieties too, different sizes and and all that. Run through the different sizes on the uh, on the swimmers there. Yeah, so there's uh, there's two sizes, kind of like uh, you know a small and like a big. So there's a 115 mm -hmm. millimeter and 150 millimeter bait. Um, I think one's like 40 something grams, you know, and the other one's like 60 something grams. So not crazy heavy, but not too light. Very castable. I think you probably experienced that when you fished mm -hmm. it yesterday. Um, you know, six colors in, in the swimmer. Um, it's got a, you know, a forex strong treble hook on the back. It's got a awesome split ring. It's never going to bend out. Uh, but you I mean, you got to fish it, right? And, and that's kind of been the fun of this whole uh, experience is not even trying to sell it to somebody. It's just simply hand them the bait and just say, go cast it. And you tell me. And when they see that thing in the water, you know, just dart side to side, it's, you know, okay, that's, that's going to work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's the, that's the swimmer. Um Another interesting bait we did is is hybrid, and hybrid is kind of like your normal dart style, you know, jig, uh, but we made it out of ABS, so like the same, like plastic type material. You know, all of those baits are primarily made out of lead, and I wanted to make that bait like the certain size. If you get, we have it in two sizes, but one's like 125 millimeters long. It's pretty big, so if that was straight lead, it's going to weigh like. 160 grams. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, super heavy. Uh, but making it out of ABS and putting the lead chunks basically inside to give it the action, mm -hmm. um, it's light enough to where you, you can you can fish it, and it's basically like a subsurface you know swim swimmer. Mm -hmm. um, that one's really cool. I got a bunch of yellows on it last year at, at Clemente. Um, I actually I did that last year too. Yeah, I think I texted you that picture too. Yeah. <laughs> 
So that was a fun one, and it's you know it's super unique. Nobody mm-hmm. has like an ABS style you know dart type jig. Um, and I was talking to uh, Aaron Graham at, uh, on the Native Sun, mm-hmm. and I was showing him all the lures, um, and he actually came up with a pretty cool concept. They use those style of baits at Catalina a lot, and primarily they're using like twenty pound or twenty five pound. And what he was saying was. With that size jig being really heavy, a lot of his passengers, unfortunately, get backlashes. Mm. So you can imagine a 160-gram jig with 20-pound on a backlash, it's snap line and your lure is gone. So now it's quite a bit lighter. Therefore, mm-hmm. if you make a cast <laughs> and you backlash, you probably won't break the line. So he was, like, really stoked nice. that, you know, for the profile of it and the weight that his passengers are going to be able to continue to fish it and not break them off all the time. Some of us have that problem. It's okay. Yeah. Self-admitted. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it happens to the best of us. Um, <laughs> so the third bait would be uh, digger and uh, digger is uh, think of like a freshwater rattle trap, mm-hmm. you know, just a little bit bigger or like a marauder that's smaller. Yeah. So I wanted to make uh, basically like a crankbait that you can chuck and wind, right? It's, you control it. Obviously, you can put it behind the boat and it, and it trolls up. I think we had it up to like 14 knots before it wants to start to kick it's pretty out, good. which is pretty quick. Um, but more importantly, just to be able to cast it and retrieve it and then all the different things you can do because it sinks. You know, you can sink it out, just wind it right back in. Mm-hmm. You can work it like a jerk bait. You can grind it really fast, put it into free spool. So there's all these different techniques you can do. But I just feel as though the bite that you get on that bait is normally so violent. That, I mean, it just stones you dead. I mean, you're just grinding, mm-hmm. and just boom, and you just get hammered. Uh, it's just a really, really fun bait um, to fish. I can't wait to do, like, wahoo fish uh, oh. with that. I think it's going to be outstanding. Uh, but locally, like, <clears throat> dorados, yellowtails, tunas, we've caught pretty much everything on that bait. And, and, again, it's just one more thing to add, you know, to the arsenal. Um, it, is it one of those... Uh, I guess uh, opportunities or, or goals of yours to really kind of make a bait to where no matter what your style is, whether you want to crank it fast or wind it in or, or all that, like it's super versatile. Yeah. Well on the, on the baits that we currently built, it's primarily like throw it out and wind it in or they mm-hmm. get bits on the sink, trying to make it very, very simple to where even the most novice angler can go out there and be successful with the lure. A lot of lures these days, as you can probably see, they're very, very technical, mm-hmm. and you have to be an expert to realistically get bites. Um, so I didn't want to really do that with these baits. Just you know, throw it out, and you can just wind it in, and then it's going to get a bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we progress into future lures, yeah, more technique is going to be involved, and and so on and so forth. But really wanted to keep also um, just to the core of fishing with making them versatile to the species of fish that we have. So not making a lure that's very specific to a yellowtail or very specific to a bluefin. Like all the lures that we have will catch calico bass. I mean, any pelagic that's out there versus being very specific to a fish or a fishery. The reason behind that is, I mean, we hope these big bluefin don't go away. But if we were manufacturing four or 500 gram, you know, flat fall style jigs and that tuna goes away... You just got a pile of inventory that's yeah. now basically worthless. Some paperweights. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're 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 no longer any good. So really, just sticking to 
you know, the, the basics of what, you know, each coastline needs just to catch their quiver of fish that they've got on, you know, on their shorelines. Nice. Um, let's see. So we did swimmer, we did hybrid, we did digger. I think there's one more. There's two more. Two more. Um, so we have our jerk bait. So our jerk bait really focused in on the, on the weight of it. In my experience, normally like the further you can cast, the better odds of getting a bite you have. So how do you make a jerk bait cast further? Right. So add weight to it. Mm -hmm. But if you add too much weight to the jerk bait, it really kills the action. So we really played around with the weights inside the bait and made it as heavy as possible. Uh, therefore, you can cast it further. And inside our jerk baits, there's like a, a weight system to where the weight will actually disengage and shoot to the tail. Therefore, it makes it aerodynamic. So if you're pulling up on a foamer or what have you, you don't have to get super close. You're able to cast it, you know, really far. Um, and then once the bait hits the water, the little lead piece re-engages, and then it's got the right action. And it's a slow sinking uh, jerk bait. So that's kind of our claim to fame on our jerk bait is size to weight. And then uh, the the last bait is uh, is our crossbreed. So this is again just a, a dart style jig, uh, but we put a lot of emphasis on uh, the shape, and we put a lot of the weight basically towards the center of it. So it's a, it's a center-weighted bait. And what you get with this is on the cast and retrieve, it's got a great kicking action. But on the sink, it's really cool. I mean, you can actually feel it when the bait's dropping, the line's coming off your spool to where it's, it's coming off your spool really fast, and all of a sudden it's, it slows way down. And that bait actually catches an edge and goes from a vertical fall to a horizontal fall. And then it'll kind of like shimmy at this horizontal angle and it'll lose that angle and it'll go back to a, a vertical. Hmm. And then it'll grab an edge again and go back to a horizontal. And they just eat it up. So uh, just a fun bait, either slow pitching or throwing out and winding it in. Um, but again, really, really versatile, kind of caught basically everything the ocean's got <laughs> out <laughs> there. It's crossbreeds caught it that's cool that's really cool when it comes to developing product and all that i mean last year ekg made this year big emphasis on the lures and all that realistically in your in your or from your perspective how much like how how many years does it take to develop a product like this on the afco side well boy i would say like pre-covid is fast and mm -hmm. things definitely slowed way way down um, but right now I, I pretty much work like at least 18 months out. Um, wow. so like I've got everything put to bed for iCast next year is already done and I'm already working on the following iCast from just an idea, just trying to figure out the strategies and what it needs to be in 2025, 2025. Yeah. Wow. So always working out is, is as far out as you possibly can the better off you are because there's mm -hmm. going to be all kinds of hiccups in between, um, especially with lures. You know, you can get a handful of new lures built and you get them and they could be garbage, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you could take them out on the boat, throw it in the water and look at it and just go, oh, man, we just totally missed the mark on this one. And then how do you then rebuild it to make it do what you wanted it to do originally? And so then you got to go back to the factories and discuss all the things that you want to have changed. And then they got to make another one and then send it back out. So that whole process can take months, you know, six months probably till you finally get it dialed in. And that's if your factory is just like cranking those things out super fast for you mm -hmm. once you give them the, you know, the updates that, uh, that are needed. That sounds like frustration galore. <laughs> 
Yeah, but the end result is is yeah. killer. I mean, on these lures, when we finally got them all dialed in, and I was down in uh, Basin Marine in Newport, and that's uh, a buddy of mine, uh, one of our designers, Steve Barons. He's got his boat Joker down there, and that's kind of like our laboratory. And nice. so I was on the bow of the boat. We got all the baits uh, on the bait tank, and you know we pinned on swimmer, threw it out, turned the handle, and I was just smiling ear to ear, just <laughs> like yes, like this is awesome. I can see that. <laughs> and then you know we did hybrid, threw it out, wound it in, and just saw it. You know, and so each bait as you did it, it was just such a joy mm-hmm. to see that. Okay, we've we've done it. Like these things are awesome. They're they're going to be incredible fish catchers mm-hmm. well so i know we you can't necessarily get them on the website on the afco website but you can go to your local tackle store i think you can get them on the on the website okay. um there's like freight involved and stuff you know you're probably better off just going to your local tackle store to, to mm-hmm. pick them up and they're pretty much available all throughout southern california and, and beyond yes yeah um all the major tackle shops for the most part are are carrying the baits um you know a few are in the process, but mm-hmm. uh, by you know by the end of next by the end of July, I believe we'll have the majority of the tackle shops here in SoCal carrying the baits. On the flip side, I know there's quite a bit of um, time in developing products like this, but how much work is does it really require on your end to kind of develop something like this? Well, it's it's more like strategy on how it's going to fit into the market, mm-hmm. right? So you're I'm actually do I. I look at a ton of different lures out on the market. How are the, how, what are my competitors doing? What's their claim to fame? How do they market it? Um, what are their color patterns? There's, there's a wide variety of things that need to be kind of like dissected. And then how do you make yours different or make it stand out? So there's more like strategy. I would say that's involved, mm-hmm. um, that you're working on when you're, when you're doing lures, cause it would be, you know, super simple to, you know, for example, a, a Mad Mac, right? That's like the super popular bait yeah. right now. Just taking that lure and just and copying it and just throw it on the market at a cheaper price. Boom, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure somebody's working on that right now. Um, but we don't want to do, we want to make sure that our baits are, you know, are truly unique. Mm-hmm. So for for a while, and correct me if I'm wrong, so AFCO is really, I mean, their, their goal or their emphasis seems to be primarily on clothing nowadays, which is, which is great though. It's a huge market and all that stuff. And then since, uh, you got, you got brought on, on the tackle side and all that stuff, you're starting to see a lot more development on the tackle side and, and a little bit more of an emphasis to, um, introduce new products like these. Yeah, that was, uh, that's one of Bill's, Bill Shed's, uh, deals. Like when he, when he brought me on, it, it, he knew it. And mm-hmm. I think everybody in the company knew it, that, you know, they started off building tackle that was their core mm-hmm. they got into clothing clothing became a huge success and then there was just like tackle in the background which the company was founded on mm-hmm. was i wouldn't say dying i mean still our roller guides and unibuts and store butts are still incredible yeah uh, but it's like what what do we need to do to to really blow up the tackle side and uh, that's where i basically came in and um and then greg stodesbury who you know retired from there he kind of kicked off the project. He brought in the fillet knives. He did the fluorocarbon line. Um, you know, so those were kind of our newest items. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he also designed all the rod belts and harnesses and gaffs and, and everything else. But since then, right, we've, you know, there's lures, we've got wind-ons, we've got uh, tons of different bags and, uh, you know, different bait nets and just on and on and on of all these new things that we're, we're bringing to the market. 
That's a good point. The tackle catalog on the AFCO section of the market, it's it's quite you have a lot of variety because I completely forgot about the fillet knives and the fluoro and that's fluoro alone is a huge success. I mean with the emphasis of using it nowadays. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big one and that is a tough market to mm-hmm. crack and you know, we're doing a pretty good job, you know, the guys that have bought it and used it love it, mm-hmm. right? But there's just so many people that uh, I've used, you know, brand X and it's worked. So they just continue to buy brand X, mm-hmm. but the really hardcore guys are the guys that really know the differences in between line when they've used ours, you know, they love it. And mm-hmm. most of the sp- sport boats, uh, the star, the RP, the Shogun, um, all of those guys, they're all using our fluorocarbon they're, they're, and they're not giving it to them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're buying it from us and they, they believe in it that much. Um, and then guys, you know, again, just guys that really know their stuff know that this is the best stuff on the market. So staying on fluoro for a second, in your opinion, what is the best way to not only store fluorocarbon, but take caring of, and take care of it and making sure that it actually is working while you're fishing on the boat? Do you have any tips? Yeah. I mean, just keep it out of the sun mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, my stuff lives in my tackle bag in my garage. Uh, mm-hmm. My garage is probably gets pretty warm in the summer, but it's never been so hot to where it would break anything down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know like direct sunlight or extreme heat certainly can destroy uh, any sort of, you know, fluorocarbon, monofilament, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would just be my, the basic tip is just don't, don't let it bake in the sun. Yeah. When, uh, you know, as far as fishing goes and all that stuff, are you a braid to fluoro guy or do you have a little mono in there in the middle? I'm a braid to a very short piece of fluorocarbon. Okay. Interesting. I don't, I don't know. Strategy? Everybody says, not everybody, (laughs) but I get a lot of guys love that, you know, a hundred feet of monofilament to whatever. And it's the sink rate of the, the line is better for the bait and blah, blah, blah. I don't buy it because I still get plenty of bites fishing it my way. Mm -hmm. And I always just felt, though, you know, you add that monofilament between your braid and your fluoro, you've got two more knots, you've got an an extra fail spot, right? And I, for one, hate casting with a knot on the spool. Oh, refuse to do it. Right, just drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. So, like, even when I'm casting, my fluorocarbon leader is so short to where it's actually outside of the tip. Mm-hmm. Right, so I only need three feet or four feet, and then I'm totally fine, and I've got plenty of bites. And I just feel like the the feel though of the straight straight spectra mm-hmm. that I'm I'm feeling every everything that that bait's doing. I know exactly what's going on in the water. And if I need to swap out baits really quick, you know, I, I can feel all that stuff. So you're not wasting a bunch of time. I'm the same way. Like I'll do usually just about an one arm length, about yeah. more or less. And that's usually going to last me the whole day. I mean, unless we're, it's just one of those days where we're just pounding out fish and all that. And, you know, my, my leader is about maybe six inches uh, yeah. long <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where I don't even have enough room to tie a new knot, but you know, I, I'm, I'm the same way where I'm always having that knot right outside the tip of the guide or tip of the rod outside the guide. So that way it's just, it's just free. Yeah. That, that's really the, the only word I can come up with. Yeah, especially with lure fishing, right? If, if a yellow pops up or you see a boil or whatever, and you got to make that precise cast, Mm-hmm. And it's maybe it's far away. 
with having that knot on the spool and you go to try to make that cast, it's inhibiting your cast, right? That, that when that knot goes through those guides, you can feel it click. Mm-hmm. Well, those clicks are friction, which means everything's now slowing down, yeah. right? So I don't want anything to do with any of that. Just, you know, a short piece of fluorocarbon, <laughs> the knot outside the tip, and then you should be able to hit them, you know, no problem. Do you know any of the guys that actually wind on their entire spool of fluoro uh, on the on the reel and they're just cutting off? Beats by piece. I've I've seen it. I actually um, this is years ago when I was working at Shimano. I had a couple of the the product manager guys, and uh, they were going out on the Shogun, and I, I hooked them up. I gave them all the gear that they needed, and mm-hmm. I gave them all these spools of fluorocarbon, and they gave me the my stuff back at the end of the trip, and I'm like, where's where's all my line? <laughs> And that's exactly what they did. They 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 took my fifty yard spools of fluorocarbon. Oh my god! Tied it up and wound the whole fifty yards onto the reel. And I don't know. Yeah, I guess I didn't explain that. So half kind of my fault. But uh, and they're from they, they just didn't they just didn't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have I have seen that. <laughs> oh man. Well, so okay. So you brought up Shimano. You were at Shimano previously before Afco and all that stuff. And I think correct me if I'm wrong, but you're. Your bread and butter back there were the rods, right? Rod development. Yeah, I did a primarily the yeah the rod development. I kind of did a bunch of different things there. I mean, I've mm-hmm. I've done reels, I've done lures, I've helped out with bags, but rods was kind of my my go to. Why rods? Just kind of like one your first labor to love or something like that. Yeah, this was, gosh, I forget when it was, and, and at the time I was a hardcore bass geek, mm-hmm. and I was a tournament fisherman and just loved everything to do with, with bass fishing. And I was a sales rep for Shimano at the time. Uh, so call it on tackle stores and, and what have you. And, uh, Dave Pfeiffer knew that I was a hardcore bass guy and he had this idea for, um, this higher end rod series. And, uh, it was crucial at the time. That was the name. He, uh, he said, can you help us build these rods? So it's like, well, yeah. So I, you know, I, okay. I figured out I like the tip action on this rod. I like the backbone of this rod. I like the handle configuration of this rod. And so I got to take all these different rods basically just to make one rod. And it was, it was super fun. And, uh, I think the really fun part was at the time I was looking at like handle design and just cork EVA hype along, right. That's kind of all they had, but nobody's really playing with any shapes. So Mm -hmm. I, I remember like, I went to Shimano. I went to their warranty department, grabbed a pile of like broken rods and that were cork and just brought them home and uh, sat in my garage with a Dremel. Mm. And I just started Dremeling away, just trying to make different different designs. And then um, I came up with uh, the, like the, you can touch the blank basically mm-hmm. in the foregrip of like a spinning rod. So we, I cut out this little chunk and, I'm playing with it and it became really comfortable. And I remember like, all right, I think this could be the design for like our drop shot, split shot type type rods. So I brought it into to Shimano and showed Dave and I was like, here's my idea. And he really liked it. And then he said, uh, man, you've, you've done like a pretty good job with this whole thing. I'd like to take you with us to our factory to go build these things. And so mm-hmm. I, I got to go to the rod factory. And then from then on out, it was just like, man, this is just, it's super cool. I mean, mm-hmm. as a hardcore f- fisherman, right? I mean, all we really think about is fishing. Yeah. So I get to take all these ideas in my head and make them come to life. And it's 
super rewarding and it's it's just a passion. It's super fun. Did you ever get into like rod building at all? No, uh, when I did Cherez, mm-hmm. um, kind of a little bit. Um, so if you recall when we did that, that's the rod that came in like the five different colors. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit of rod building with those to where I, I built like um, a paint booth. So I'd put the, you know, the blanks inside mm-hmm. this little paint booth and I was basically just using like Krylon <laughs> and <laughs> spray painting these blanks to come up with the different color concepts. And mm-hmm. then, so I had a whole batch of different colored rods and then I got a bunch of different threads um, from our factory and just more, more or less uh, just figuring out what we wanted the rods to look like. Boy, that was hard. <laughs> and I have a new respect for rod builders. Um, that is, you really have to like building fishing rods because it's, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It just took too long, too many mistakes. Um, so, yeah. So now I just, I leave it up to the experts if I'm going to have a custom rod built all go talk to Sam at Island Tackle or something mm-hmm. like that and let those guys take care of it for me. So you're more developing developer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rod building, pretty tough. Mm-hmm. You So you mentioned that you really like bass fishing. Do you get out much to do more bass fishing? Are you uh, freshwater, saltwater, all of the above? Well, saltwater now for sure is mm-hmm. is my, my passion. Um Bass fishing in Southern California, for all those that are out there, I think they'll agree with me. But back in the, you know, 80s and 90s when I was bass fishing, the the lakes were excellent. Uh, the tournament scene was huge. You know, you'd have a tournament at Lake Paris and it would draw like 100 boats. And then um, I moved to Northern California, which is Bass Mecca, the Delta, Clear Lake, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. and that really got me going on, on the whole bass thing. But what I realized really quickly was the etiquette of bass fishermen in Northern California was really good. And when I moved back down to Southern California, I remember going out to Lake Paris in a tournament and I have had this one little spot. It's a little tiny rock pile. And I caught a fish on it. Next thing you know, there was like eight boats just all came in on me and started fishing around me. And I was just like, this is a joke. (laughs) So you take like the etiquette just it was right. brutal. But, I, I mean, I get it. These lakes down here are so small. There's just not that many places to fish. So you, you kind of have to fish on top of each other. But I really didn't like didn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of got out of the f- freshwater game. I, I started to do, you know, calico bass fishing the islands. Um, and then I discovered marlin fishing. Mm. And this was probably 2005 I believe it was about 2005 was when um, I think I caught my first local marlin and that just got me all geeked out. Like mm-hmm. this was the coolest thing to me to launch a boat out of Dana Point to go out and catch a, a marlin. You know, a lot of people that are probably listening to this that live here in Southern California have no idea there's even a marlin fishery on our coast and it's here every single year. Some years is great. Some years not so good. Um but just that whole hunting aspect of Marlin, just sitting in the tower, in the gyros, looking, spotting one, having the captain, you know, get the boat in position, the gyro guys staying on the fish, the anglers all getting ready to go, you know, having two guys run to the bow, one guy in the cockpit. And it's just such a team effort uh, to get that fish to bite. And then if you do, normally we don't don't really catch many behind the boat on jigs. It's, it's all 
primarily sight fishing, but you've, it's sight fishing. You're seeing them like you're seeing the marlin tailing. You're throwing your bait. You're watching them eat it. It's just super cool. Um, the catching part, like the actually winding them in, jumping and all that's awesome, but it's the hunt. Mm-hmm. It's the getting the bite is what really gets me going. I, I, I almost any fish these days, I guess, just spoiled from fishing for as long as I have and for as many fish as I've caught. I would love nothing more than just a hook in hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I could care less to wind on anything. And even like these big tunas, right? That's mm-hmm. That's been super fun. Um, but I don't, I don't want to catch a 150-pounder. I, I want to get the bite. Yeah. But I certainly don't want to wind on it. It's just, it's just too much work. You know, as you were kind of describing the marlin, uh, how to really spot it, how to do it, that, that kind of sounds like the same process as bluefin or even yellowfin and spotting a patty and kind of it, – it's the same process. Just different species. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. And it's got the same heartbreaks to where you can see a giant foamer, mm-hmm. clear as day, thinking we're just going to knock them dead right now, and you can cast a million times into that foamer and not get a sniff, right? It's the same thing as marlin. You can have a pack of tailors going down swell. You might feed a bait right to it, and they just keep swimming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you gotten uh, into the sword fishing off of uh, Southern California yet? Not really. I, I did – before it actually blew up um, or started to become a thing, uh, we were dedicating like a half a day uh, on our marlin trips to, to doing the deep drop thing. And we never really got it totally, totally dialed in. We never connected. Um, but I did it, you know, four or five times. I, not, not a ton. It's something that I would like to do. I mean, it's, it's fun, I guess, just to catch, just to say you've caught a local swordfish realistically i i want to catch a local swordfish on the surface mm. uh i am o for 44 44 44 45 i think i've tried to keep tabs of how many i've baited we've hooked one um and we lost it and mm-hmm. uh that was a major heartbreaker but uh i think that's like the holy grail for me on our coast would be to catch a surface swordfish. I can't believe you keep track on that. <laughs> I don't even know why. It just always stuck in my head. And actually, like, I remember one trip in particular. We baited, like, almost 20. Wow. There was just a huge float in the Leo Clemente. Um, all the stick boats were out there, and it's almost like everywhere you turn in the gyros, there was a sortie. And uh, that was super fun. But we zeroed that day, not, not, hmm. even, not even got sniffed but it was uh, super epic just to see that many swordfish in this small little area uh, why do you say or why do you think like it the sword fishing uh, you know you don't really hear about it all too much right now obviously because it's the wrong time of the year but over the last couple of years i'd say i'd say probably right before covid and even during covid there's been this huge emphasis on guys deep dropping and all that why do you think that is well i think they cracked the code mm-hmm. right so i think they got you had enough anglers that wanted to figure it out, wanted to put in the time, wanted to put in the research, you know, studied the water, um, and they they figured it out. And I think with um, even like the commercial guys, I think they cracked the code and then it started to leak, mm-hmm. right? And so anglers were able to do what these, um, like the deep, like the buoy guys, right? Uh, you know, they go out and they set their buoy gear out and uh, <clears throat> more guys were just, getting a better understanding how that's going to work. And they tried it and tried it and tried it and all of a sudden getting bites, getting bites. And so it's just a code cracking thing. They, they, they figured it out. And it's also great too, because 
some of these spots that you can go catch these swordfish are literally right off the beach. So you're not running to the butterfly bank or the 60 mile or, mm-hmm. or wherever. I mean, you're running to like the canyon in Newport and catching swordfish. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> awesome. It sounds like the perfect workday experience where if you're, if you've got Wi-Fi or you've got internet, you've got a hotspot on your phone, do a little bit of work where you're kind of watching the rod tip here and there. Yeah. Cause it's, that's basically it. I mean, it's <laughs> glorified catfishing. It's, it's get the baits in the water. And, you know, I think normally guys fish like a buoy rod and mm-hmm. then a one that's on a straight up and down. You, once they're out there, it's kind of like set it and forget it. You just wait for the bite. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of downtime when you're sword fishing so it's it's definitely boring but once you get the bite you know it's i guess it's no different than marlin fishing marlin fishing is not glamorous mm-hmm. at all it's only glamorous when you finally see one but there's you know but it's the the reward of getting that bite and catching that fish is is just awesome did you take advantage of the uh, the the dodos off the coast last year at all absolutely i got on them uh twice not as many times as I would like, mm-hmm. but twice. Yeah. Uh, but I did uh, a trip with Brandon Nelson um, on his uh, on his skiff down in San Diego. Uh, we did a it was perfect timing. We got the lures, and we needed to go film mm-hmm. and take pictures. And nothing's better in picture than a Dorado. Uh, so we went out and yeah, we we crushed them. Nice, <laughs> it was nice. silly. Yeah, I mean, for I'd say maybe a week or two, like you you could get a dodo. Anywhere from San Diego all the way up to Channel Islands, yeah, and, and, and anywhere between, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've been so blessed. I think since 2015, our ocean has given us more opportunity, more species. The quality is there. The quantity is there. Um, it's just all lined up, right? We got you get the right currents and you get the right groceries in the water, and the fish mm-hmm. are going to show up and. But last year with that Dorado, I mean, that was that was insane. I mean, there's acres and acres and acres of them. I've oh. never, even on like long range trips, like I've never even seen something like that down in Mexico, you know. And, and you would think down there you would see that more often. I mean, I've seen schools of them down in Mex, but not like giant school after giant school after mm-hmm. giant school like we had up here. It was pretty phenomenal. Oh my goodness! Any well, I know they're kind of predicting a El Nino for this year and all that stuff, which. God knows what's going to happen this year. I, I I feel like I've seen it all every year, but something new happens, whether there's freaking Dorado off Orange County in L.A. and all that last year and all this big bluefin and all that. Do you have any wild predictions as to what's going to happen this year? I don't know about a, like a wild prediction. I was really stoked to see in the last two weeks that um, the day boats are getting yellowfin tuna. Already? In it's June. June. <laughs> so... That's got to be predicting something different. Um, I would love nothing more than to have both that bluefin for the guys that want to do it, mm-hmm. but for the average angler to have an enjoyable trip, the yellowfin tuna is it, right? They're a lot easier to catch. Yeah. Not not just pulling power, just getting them to bite, mm-hmm. right? So that would be awesome to see just wads of yellowfin tunas like we saw with that Dorado People were gonna. They would go nuts if, if that you know if you swapped out that Dorado with Yellowfin, it would be incredible. So, I think it's going to be a phenomenal year. It's 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 late for the newbies into the fishing industry, which the newbies are the guys that have basically started fishing since 2015 mm-hmm. to date. Anybody that's fished prior to 2015, we never really saw fish until 
what would be next week. Fourth of July weekend was always yeah. like the big weekend to go out and you would find some sort of pelagic. It wouldn't bite full speed, but it was more of a fall fishery. Mm-hmm. Now these were spoiled to where like we don't have bluefin tuna. It's it's already March. It's like, <laughs> dude, a couple of years ago in March we were catching cod and that was it. Right? Yeah. But now we've got all these fish are just showing up earlier and earlier and they're staying later and later in the year. So it's been really good for, you know, just our, our, all of our local fisher, all like boat captains and Mm -hmm. landings and tackle shops. I mean, they're really thriving with what the oceans have delivered to us since 2015. See, I feel like because we've gotten almost like a late start this year with all this wind in the spring and all that guys were just not getting off the dock. Like, like they have in the, in the couple years past, but now since we're starting to finally get some some uh, regular species in and, and all that, fish are coming up the line, I feel like we might be fishing into November, December in, in that mode. I hope you're right. Um, normally, it's like October, Yeah. whether it be the first week or the last week of October. But sometime in October would always be the shift. You'd get that big northwest wind, mm-hmm. it'd come in and kind of just screw everything up. Um, but – the last several years, you know, October has been a breeze and then it's how far into November are we going to go? Mm-hmm. Was it two years or three years ago to where we're catching bluefin tunas through December? Oh yeah. Locally. I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. So, you know, I, I hope you're right. I, <laughs> I hope they continue to bite November and December. Yeah. I mean, I remember usually the, the routine and this is probably like 2017, 2018, 2019, where one, it all started with yellowtail at the islands down in the Coronado Island and all that stuff. Once that happened, then it was kind of kicking off everything else. Then boats would go offshore looking for the bluefin and everything. But now just, you know, with this year alone, with all this wind, it's just, it's almost kind of like delayed the season a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that wind was brutal. The fish were here. Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, every boat out there knew that the fish was here. But to your point, they just couldn't get off the dock. I mean, it's blowing 20 to 30 knots like every single day. I love fishing, but not that much. No, I mean, you just get, get killed. I mean, I even had a buddy, he was uh, earlier this week, it was blowing, mm-hmm. and you know, he's in a DC, he's in a 35 Cabo, and he looked at the forecast, and it's 25 knots, and he's like, I, I have to go. So he got his teeth kicked in, but he got two big ones and you know, in that day. So I guess for the hardcore, mm-hmm. they can do it. But uh, yeah, just need that wind to, to die out and give us a shot to go catch these things. Yep, yep. Before we move over to the uh, Doc Talk podcast, give us a rundown. Where can we get the lures? Where can we check uh, anything AFCO out? Yeah, you just uh, the best place is our, our website, uh, AFCO.com. Um, we've got all the different lures that are on there. There's some videos on there, some how-tos, uh, not just for lures, but primarily all of our products, whether it's EKG May or fillet knives, gaffs, um, and obviously the clothing's all there. Uh, or just check out your local tackle store, and uh, and they should they should have it. And if they don't have it, then ask the guy that owns the tackle store. Hey, you need to bring these in. Yeah, just ask them why. Yeah, do me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Robbie. Thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Absolutely, uh, guys. We're going to continue this conversation over on the Doc Talk podcast. Make sure to go uh, like and subscribe uh, to our podcast along with that one, and we will see you guys next week.